0: Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching and listening from. If you notice, if you're watching, I'm a little bit crooked and we're off. (laughs) There's a reason for that. I'll just be up front with you. We've had some issues with our tripod. We actually record these messages in advance of Sunday, and so we're going to get it fixed, but I might be slightly off. I apologize for that, okay? Uh, we're in week two of parables, and we're looking at the stories of Christ, which have profound impact. They can be truly life-changing for everyone who will apply their lessons, and you know, Jesus was a fantastic storyteller. He excelled at it, which, you know, let's just be honest. So, he's God. He should excel at everything, right? But parables are more than stories with ethical or moral lessons to them. They're not fables. Parables rack used to illustrate a series of teachings or a teaching itself, uh, if it's a standalone, in a way that showed the audience how to apply what was being learned to their lives. And so in the first parable we highlighted, Jesus was taught, uh, He taught on the persistence of prayer. Luke 11 gives the Lord's Prayer, and uh, Christ is telling His his followers this prayer for both to use as a model for how you should pray, but also uh, how you can be identified with, with His group. You know, in the first century, Jewish rabbis taught their disciples, specific prayers that identify them with their specific group, and the Lord's Prayer does just that. In fact, it's a prayer that I would argue is one of boldness, and that boldness is produced out of a relationship we have with God. He can and He will answer our prayers, not out of obligation, but because He has a relationship with us. You know, pitchers and catchers, they report to spring training tomorrow. That's right, man. Baseball is back. I I don't care if it's February. Like, it's a sign, okay? It's a sign that spring is coming. And I don't know about you, but I am ready for the longer days and the warmer nights. The only thing I'm not ready for, though, is daylight savings time. I always hate losing the extra hour of sleep. Of course, nowadays, it's not a big deal because you know everything updates automatically. Your car, your phone, your smartwatch. You don't really do anything, right? Uh, But how many of you guys remember that not so long ago, you had to manually reset everything? There was one Sunday, I was in college, and I decided to go to a friend's church, and we chose to attend the early service because I had a softball game right around lunchtime. So we got up and went to church, and we pulled into the parking lot. There wasn't a soul to be found. It was completely empty. So we started to kind (laughs) of... realized the other churches we passed along the way, they, they, they were empty too. And that was really crazy. It's Sunday morning, churches should be full, right? So we turned the radio on, thinking perhaps there's something we missed. You know, we remember 9-11, we were in high school when it happened, so remember the whole nation has kind of stopped when that occurred, right? So what if something like that happened overnight? So we turned the radio on and, and, and there was nothing. We texted some friends we knew who would be in church, uh, which is about all the extras the old school flip phones could do back then, and uh, nothing, right? So finally, we start to freak out just a little bit because the thought began to enter our minds. What if Jesus had come back and we didn't make it? Because, like, you know, the whole left behind craze was still happening pretty strong back then. Uh, never mind. We were both Christians. We we're serving the Lord. But we just freaked out, thinking like, holy cow, we've been left behind. Someone called Kurt Cameron. <laughs> anyway, it was then that my buddy noticed the phone's clock was an hour behind the clock in the car which yeah that's right (laughs) you had to manually set everything back then remember including the car so daylight savings time had ended everybody was operating an hour earlier and that's exactly how i beat the pastor to church for the first and only time on sunday morning (laughs) all right you ever been in a situation like that you just weren't ready for something Maybe it wasn't you know, for the time to change back, but maybe it was for a game, a, a report, a date. If you're married, you start learning how to really awake, because, fellas, she's always going to take twice as long. Uh, but it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. I think for a good bit of us, though, there are a few worse feelings out there. Uh, than unpreparedness. I mean, that's a pretty bad one to have. And when we're not ready, we fail a test, right? When we're not ready for a game, we strike out. When we're not ready for a major life change, then we experience shock and, and setbacks. In Luke chapter 12, we find three important short parables uh, that are all focused on being ready. Specifically, they deal with this idea of being ready for both the return of Christ and the judgment that comes with it. That, that's key there. Each story is a little different. One's gonna deal with the actual waiting for Jesus' return, another another's gonna zero in on the unexpectedness of his return. And a third will produce, or, or I'm sorry, will introduce the idea of judgment by drawing attention to different types of people. So the message is that we're supposed to walk with Christ faithfully until He returns with this mindset that what God will do should affect what we do. Look at Luke 12, verse 35. Just Jesus talking here. Be dressed for service, and keep your lamps burning, as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. And then you'll be ready to open the door and let Him in the moment He arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for His return, they'll be rewarded. And I I tell you the truth, He Himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night, or just before dawn, but whenever He comes, He will reward the servants who are what? Who are ready. Now, when you make a decision to follow Christ, you become a servant of Christ. How you live your life, what you say, what you do, what's really within your heart, all of those things should reflect Jesus and His standards. Once we're in God's kingdom, we, we don't live for ourselves anymore. Like we're not our own. We're his. It is a great privilege to be a servant of Christ. Now, in this first parable, Jesus says the servants need to be what? They need to to be dressed, have their lamps lit, and be ready for their master's return. The picture that he's painting is one of where the servants are expecting their master's return. They they are prepared. They're not second-guessing if he's coming back. They're not hoping that he comes back. They just don't believe. They actually know he is, in fact, going to return. The description that Christ gives is that they're dressed, and that's really important. It's not a statement regarding, well, yeah, they had clothes on, they're not naked. Like, It's not that kind of thing. It's actually a bit deeper than that. You didn't wear pants back in the first century, okay? Everybody wore tunics. So if you wanted to be mobile and agile and move quickly, you would actually take your tunic, roll it up around your waist, and tie it around your waist so you could move at a moment's notice. You had to be able to move very quickly. That that took preparation, right? So So the picture here is these servants are always ready to go but they're not just waiting around they're active right they're doing what their master requires them to do it's that expectation that waiting for his anticipated return that's what spurs them to make sure their lamps are lit also right because it's quite possible he'll come back in the middle of the night and so these servants man they're the epitome of what it means to be expectant and they're waiting for the master's return even the situation that they find themselves in is very important. They're expecting their master to return from what? From from a wedding celebration. Now, for us, it's really not a big deal. Like, you go to weddings, it's a one-night thing, whatever. But in Jesus' day, you didn't know how long they were going to last. Like, they could last for a few hours to, you know, like an entire week, okay? So, these servants are expected, uh, are expectedly waiting their master's return from a celebration that doesn't exactly have a definitive end. They have no idea what it's going to end. They have to be ready at all times, which means the house is in order, the table is set, everything is as it should be. So when the master arrives, he'll find his servants have not just managed all of his affairs, but managed them well. And that's what servants of Christ are to be doing. We're to be expectant in our waiting, to make sure that we are managing all that God's given us well, which includes gifts, talents, other areas of service. However, It also includes our families and our very lives too, right? So knowing the master is returning affects what the servants do with their lives and what he's entrusted to them. Think about that for a second. There's an expectation on God's part uh, that you do something with what he has given you, that you manage your life well. So let me ask you, man, like what has God entrusted to you? Think about your talents, your abilities, your finances, your family, your life. Like, how are you managing these things in light of Jesus's return? There's a little twist to the story, too. When the master does return, he doesn't take his seat and have his servants serve him. Instead, he becomes one of them. Now, that would have had a a big shock, like a wow factor to the people listening in the story. It's a foreshadow of Christ's final night with his followers, where he would get down on his knees and visibly illustrate this by washing their feet. It's really the climax of the story. You know, Mark 10:45, 45, Jesus remarks that He hasn't come to be served, but He's come to serve and give His life for many. The Master's actions, elevate servanthood and, you know serving is just it's not about you it, it isn't about having your time in the spotlight. it isn't about earning your way into God's favor serving is, is emptying yourself into other people and honestly it's, it's a visible expression of a priceless love for God and for others like we're to be expectant as we await Christ's return. And the second parable contrasts the first. The servants are expectedly awaiting their master's return in the first one. But in the second parable, we really underscore how unexpectedly that return will be. And in light of that, you should be prepared. Look at uh, verse 39. He continues, understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was going to come in, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Why do we lock our doors at night? Why, Why do some of us have security systems in our homes? Well, because you want to be ready. In the event someone tries to break in, right? We hope it never happens, but we're ready in case it does because it's likely to happen at a time that we least expect it. It's the same reason you carry all types of insurance. You want to be prepared for that one event that could happen that you never see coming. It's unexpected. Jesus is drawing a parallel here with the burglar's timing and the unexpected timing of his return. Now, we don't know... When he'll come back? I know there's a lot of folks out there who think they've got it all figured out. They've done the crazy, wild math from Daniel's 77s, which, by the way, if you're interested in learning more of, we did a teaching just on the 77s in our Daniel series from 2022. Go back and check it out online. Uh, they've seen the 20 foot long, you know, biblical prophecy chart on a stage somewhere. Uh, they're up to their eyeballs and prophetic and in time stuff. Like, I, I, I get it. It's kind of neat. It's intriguing. But Christ makes it really clear in Matthew 24, 36 that not even he, the son of God, he doesn't even know when he's returning. So I think that pretty much eliminates any and all confidence in one's ability to guess when it might happen, right? My big warning to you as a pastor is simply this. Don't. Let the return of Christ be an obsession. If we're ready, if we're expectedly waiting, if we're walking faithfully with Christ, we're going to be okay. And not only that, we will have reached others for Christ in the process, and they're going to be ready as well. See, knowing what God will do should affect what we do, right? And so what if, what if we're not expectedly waiting? What if we're not ready? <laughs> what if we choose to ignore or even doubt what God's going to do. Well, that's where the third and final parable comes in. In fact, it stems from a question that Peter asks in verse 41 about whether the stories are directed towards everybody or simply the disciples. And the answer, of course, the third parable delivers is that the warning is against, you know, not expectantly waiting, not being ready. It's for everybody. Look at verse 41. Peter asked, Lord, is the illustration just for us or for everyone. And the Lord replied, A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, there'll be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all that he owns. Look at verse 45. But what if the servant thinks, Well, my master won't be back for a while? And he begins beating the other servants, partying, and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he'll cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And a servant who knows what the master wants, look at this, this is important, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions, well, he'll be severely punished, but some, someone who doesn't know uh, and then does something which is wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. There are different types of people that Christ will find when he returns. So the first one deals with the servant. Who's placed in charge of of, of the household. If he does a good job, he'll be rewarded. And this is the person whom Christ greets in eternity and he says, hey, well done, good and faithful servant, right? And he ushers you into God's kingdom. And this is who we all want to be right here. But what if you have a servant in charge of the household who who just goes off the straight and narrow? I suppose he figures well, the master's return is going to be a long time in coming if he even ever comes back, you know. And so in his absence, he sees his power and it goes to his head and he begins to harm the servants around him. And he, I mean, he, he just can't get away with it forever though, because at some point the master will come back. And when he does, the servants held accountable and he receives a terrible judgment. He, he's, he's hacked to pieces. This is like the mafia, right? <laughs> That's brutal stuff. And There's a great deal of agreement that this particular servant is not a follower of Jesus. Perhaps at one time they were, perhaps they had the appearance of a follower, um, they had some kind of access or connection to servants of Christ, but the the punishment here that he gets is not consistent with judgment the followers of Jesus receive. It's actually consistent with the imagery that he uses to describe those who enter eternity without relationship with him. So this guy, we can probably say, is not a believer. Now the other types of servants that Jesus may find include those who who know what they should be doing, but they're not acting on what their master wants, and then those who simply just aren't aware of what the master wants. Period. So one servant is negligent, the other one is ignorant. Both receive discipline, but they don't receive the kind of judgment the other servant receives, which is consistent with those who enter eternity without Christ. That's really important. No one's getting shopped up and them with the fishes, okay? There's no banishment, no weeping, no gnashing of teeth, no dark imagery. So so who are these guys then? So a couple of thoughts. One, they could be the kind of person you read about in 1 Corinthians 3.15. So Paul describes here how followers of Christ are judged. God's going to actually weigh out your works because your works do determine your reward. So in that sense, works do matter. Um, They can't save you, but they matter for reward. So listen to what happens to those who you could describe as being negligent, like this servant. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.15. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. And the builder will be saved, but like someone who barely escapes through a wall of flames. It's like, you know, you smell a little smoky there. Like it's that kind of escaping, right? So in other words, they just escaped their punishment and it actually fits perfectly with how Christ ends the story. The more someone knows about God, listen to me here, his expectations, you know more about the life that you should live to glorify him, the greater the responsibility you have. Now, the last servant, the one who's punished lightly, it's a little bit interesting. I'm not going to jump into him right now. I'm actually going to save this one for a teaching later in the year when we open up the book of Romans. It's very complex, and to thoroughly explain what's happening here would probably require a lot more time than the few minutes that I have left with you. But what I do want to draw your attention to is back in verse 48. Look at it again. Read it in light of what the negligent servant from verse 47 uh, is receiving. Christ says, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. We, We said the more you know about God, the greater the responsibility. But it's also true, the more you've been given, the more God requires of you. And so the question today, man, is what has God entrusted with to you? How are you using your position of authority as a business owner? Uh, Are you leveraging your network as a consultant? Are you taking opportunities in the classroom as a teacher? Are you expanding God's kingdom using the wealth that he's blessed you with? Are you taking the gifts and talents that God has entrusted to you and using them to reach people who are far from the Lord? There is a, a heavy weight of responsibility on our part. And it's great to focus on Christ's return and the end times and all that. I mean, it's great to do that. And we shouldn't take it lightly. But a big part of being ready for Jesus is being able to confidently tell God one day, I did the best I could with all you were entrusted to me. I mean, one of the things I'm terrified of is standing before God one day and finding out I didn't do enough. I didn't tap enough into all that he left me. I didn't tap in enough to what he entrusted to me to see folks come to know him. Because when you've been entrusted with much, I'm going to go out and live here saying that I think all of you here fall into this, uh, much is required. And So what's the lesson stringing all three of these parables together? Well, the lesson is this. Walk faithfully with Christ until he returns. Have the mindset that what God will do should affect what we do. And what will God do? Well, he'll send his son to, to return one day. Christ is coming back and with him. Is both reward and judgment. And we've got to expectantly await his return to be ready because it's going to happen unexpectedly. You you don't know when it's going to occur, right? And that means we better be serving selflessly. We should be loyal to our master who is Jesus. We should be living each day with the urgency that it could be our last. How are you living your life? Is it reflecting the goodness and grace and love of Christ? Are you harming those servants? Does a sense of urgency grip you enough to do everything you can to make the hope of Christ known to people in your circle? Eternity is a long time. And when the master returns, I don't want you to get caught up being unprepared. Don't get put in a position where you haven't done much with all that God has entrusted to you. Be ready. Be ready. Here's what I want to do with you today. You're watching, you're listening right now. You say, pastor, I'm listening to what you're saying. And couple of things. One, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Like I'm not ready. I'm not ready because I don't know him. I don't have a relationship with him. But let's take care of that right away. I'll walk you through a model prayer in a moment that I want you to say in your own words um, with me. And we're going to say that. We call it the sinner's prayer. It's the prayer that says, Lord, I need you to save me. And then I want You, Jesus to be Lord of my life. For I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to live for you. But then two, Maybe you're a believer already and you're saying, man, I'm, I'm not prepared because I haven't been using what God has entrusted with me. I haven't treated fellow servants of Christ well. I've, maybe you've been harming fellow servants, right? Uh, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm ready. Pastor, can you pray for me? And so I certainly want to do that before we wrap up. So first, let's, let's talk with you guys who would say, I just need Jesus. Say this prayer in your own words, along with me here. So, Father, uh, I thank you for those who are watching and listening here today. I pray for those who don't know you, that right now, they'd open up their hearts and they would say this, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for for, for, for the, uh, just the way of living, for the actions, decisions I've made, God, uh, that have not aligned with you. I have fallen short of your standards, God. I cannot do this on my own. I know that I can't save myself. Lord, I want to make sure that my eternal home is secure in you. And so, Today, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the wrongs that I've done. Forgive me of my, my, uh, this ungodliness, Lord. And uh, will you just save me? Be my savior. Cleanse my heart. Make me new. Give me that brand new, fresh start. And I don't want to do things my own way anymore. I've already done that. I've tried that. It hasn't worked out. And so, God, will you be Lord of my life? Will you guide me and direct me? Will you lead me? I'm going to follow you, and, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to submit to your authority. And so from this day forward, it's not about me. It's about you. Save me, lead me, I pray. Be my Savior and my Lord today. Father, for those who are already believers who say, man, I haven't done a good job being ready and prepared. Lord, I pray that they would take what they've been given. You've been trusted with us with so much and so many things. They would take what you've been given, uh, networks and resources and finances and talents, whatever it is, and leverage these things for your kingdom, winning people to you, reaching and impacting hearts and lives for Christ. That's a huge part of being ready for your return. I pray that they do so, Lord, so that they can say confidently, I am ready. I have done everything, God, that I know to do with what you've entrusted me with. I've done my best with what you've given me. Lord, may we treat each other well, God, may we have your interests and their interests at heart. When we interact with folks, I pray, Lord, that uh, we would be like the servants in the first parable, doing the master's business and work, but doing so constantly being ready and prepared for the unexpected return of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hearts you've saved. Thank you for the lives, God, that you're getting back on track. We ask all this in your name. Amen.